0: All right, turn in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 2. Hebrews chapter 2. We'll be looking at verses 1 through 4 this evening. Hebrews chapter number 2. And if you're taking notes, the title is uh, a great salvation, a great salvation. Hebrews chapter 2, the book of Hebrews is known for many of the warnings that it contains. Um, in the letter and uh, We're going to consider the first warning that we see in the book And this isn't the first time that we'll consider this warning uh, because this warning is repeated throughout the book of Hebrews um, through, throughout this letter and so the author he's laid the foundation for his audience of the superiority of Christ and this is a case that he continues to make throughout the letter So we've noticed um, how Christ has been established as being superior to the angels uh, as a messenger of God. In the Old Testament, of course, God often spoke to man through angels, through prophets, through his messengers. And they had uh, very important messages that they had to deliver. And those who ignored the prophets or who ignored the angels that delivered a message from God suffered greatly for not heeding those warnings or those messages from God. And so the author has made the case that if the messages from the prophets or from the angels were important and to be listened to. How much more should we listen to a message from God himself through Jesus Christ? How much more should we listen to the Lord? Uh, Jesus Christ is God in the flesh. And so if we should listen to the angels, which uh, if we lived at that time and an angel delivered a message from God, we should have listened. Um, but if, if we ought to listen to them, how much more ought we to listen to Christ? And that's the point he's making here. And so The people that the author is writing to, they're in danger of letting this message from Christ, the message of the gospel, uh, slip from them. And that's the warning this evening. They're in spiritual danger. And the section that we're going to consider tonight, it's a sobering reminder and a warning of the potential danger that professors of faith in Christ face in Drifting or letting the gospel slip. This warning is not given to those who are truly saved. It's a warning to those who uh, are false converts, those who are believing in the wrong thing. Perhaps their faith is in themselves, their faith is in their works, their faith is in their baptism, their faith is in what they do as to their faith for salvation. Uh, And so this letter is written to those who are so close to the gospel, but it slips right on by them, and, uh, and they, they, they don't see the gospel. They don't uh, accept it by faith. And This warning is all throughout the New Testament. Jesus warned that there will be tares among the wheat, and there will be goats among the sheep in the church. And so this is a very sobering warning and reminder this evening. Apparently, the author of Hebrews knew that there were those in the church that he was writing to who professed faith in Christ... But there was no evidence of their faith in Christ. Uh, and and they, they bore no fruit in their life of being, born again, of being born again. They were living in spiritual hypocrisy and in apathy. And this is obviously a very serious issue in this church. Because the author starts so early in this letter with this warning. And this warning is repeated throughout the book as we'll, as we'll see through this series. And so tonight, this same warning is for us as well this sobering warning uh, that we ought to pay careful attention uh, that we don't let the gospel slip from us, that we don't let it drift on by. Uh, and this warning is for those who are the tares among the wheat or the goats among the sheep. And before, before we become arrogant and say, uh, that would never happen to me, uh, we need to pause and consider what Jesus himself warned the religious people of his day, who thought they were right with God. Jesus said this in Matthew 7, 21 through 23, not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father, which is in heaven, Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name, and in thy name have cast out devils, and in thy name done many wonderful works? And then will I profess unto them, I never knew you, depart from me, ye that work iniquity. I can't think of a more scary thing to hear from Jesus Christ than, depart from me, ye who work iniquity. I I never knew you. Uh, you profess my name, you say you believe in me, but I don't know you because you're trusting in your works, you're trusting in what you're doing to save you or, or some other thing besides me. And so this passage is a sobering warning and something we we'll ought to consider for our own lives and, and hearts. We're told in the New Testament that we ought to examine ourselves to see whether we be in the faith. And so Hebrews is written to the drifter, to those who confess to be saved, but uh, their life shows a different story. They profess Christ with their lips, but their life tells a different story. Uh, their, Their faith is not in Christ. They're in danger of letting the gospel slip from them, drift on by. Why? Because their faith is in something else. It's not in Christ. And when our faith is not in Christ alone, when our faith is in something else or someone else, our faith is going to drift. It's going to change because only Christ is unchanging. And so our faith needs to be in Him because He's the unchanging one. And so the question we need to ask ourselves is, uh, are we drifting? Is the gospel slipping by us? Uh, Do we profess faith in Christ, but our life betrays a different story? And and so this is a very sobering warning this evening, but I want us to consider it. Hebrews chapter 2, look at verses 1 through 4. It says this, Therefore, we ought to give the more earnest heed to the things which we have heard, lest at any time we should let them slip. For if the word spoken by angels was steadfast, and every transgression and disobedience received a just recompense of reward, how shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation, which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord, and was confirmed unto us by them that heard him, God also bearing them witness, both with signs and wonders, and with diverse miracles, and gifts of the Holy Ghost according to his own will. Let's pray dear lord i thank you for this day that you've given us and lord i thank you for the opportunity to preach your word and lord i ask that you would just help me now as i preach this message to have the words to say and to speak clearly lord and i ask that you would just help us lord to consider our own lives and our own hearts as you've helped me lord to consider my own life and my own heart this week I just pray, Lord, that you'd help us to leave here uh, taking earnest heed to our faith, as we saw this morning, contending for the faith and living for the faith and allowing the gospel to change our lives and define who we are. Lord, I ask that you would just help us to examine our hearts this evening. And God, I ask that you would help me to be emptied of self. And Lord, I pray that you'd help me to be filled with your spirit. And I pray that you would do what only you can do this evening, and that's to speak to our hearts. I ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen first thing that I want us to consider is the warning in verse 1. Therefore, uh, therefore meaning because of the things previously mentioned, and and what were those things? Um, As we already noticed, uh, the author just finished discussing the supremacy of Christ in relation to the angels, and that's a significant point. The people he's writing to have grown up in Judaism. They have grown up living for the law, living to keep the law in order to be right with God and there, the great case of Judaism was that it was given by angels, it was delivered by angels, and so the law is important, and, and they ought to keep it, and, uh, and so we're trusting in the law to make us right with God, because it was given by angels, that was the case of Judaism, if you will, and, uh, and no doubt the law is important, and the law is important today, the law points us to Christ, but the law does not save us, uh, and, and Christ teaches that in, in the gospel. And so Christ is superior to the angels. If, if the message from the angels was to be listened to, how much more ought the gospel to be heeded and listened to? And so all throughout the Old Testament are examples of those who were blessed when they obeyed the messengers of God and those who were cursed when they disobeyed and ignored the messages, messengers of God. But Christ is is greater than those angels and those messengers. By his his very nature, he is God. He is the Son of God. He is God in the flesh. He's the one who gave the law, and he's the one who will judge those who do not keep the law. And so if a message from angels was important, how much more is a message given by the Son of God himself? That's what the therefore means. And that's the argument and the warning right here in this opening verse of chapter 2. The warning is, we ought to give the more earnest heed to the things which we have heard, lest at any time we should let them slip. We ought ought to give the more earnest heed. We ought to be uh, fervent to pay attention to the gospel. The, The things that we have heard is a reference to the gospel and our salvation. And so we ought to pay attention to the gospel and uh, our salvation so we don't let it slip by us, the author, author writes. That idea of slipping is the idea of something that drips on by you without notice. Uh, it's, it's the idea of a piece of driftwood floating down a river and, it, and you don't even notice it. It goes right on by. And so we ought to give the more earnest heed to the gospel so we don't let it slip on by us. And, and what, does that, what does that mean? The warning here is clear. But the implication of this, uh, we need to examine it. What does it mean to let the gospel slip from us? Again, there are many who profess to be born again Christians, but their actions and their lifestyle show that the gospel has had no effect on them, that they have not believed in the true gospel. They show they're false converts. They profess Christ with their mouth, but their heart is far from them, the Bible says. They uh, they know the lingo of Christianity, but they walk A path that is foreign to the Christian life. They walk a path that is foreign to the person who's truly saved. Their life reflects a different story from their words. There are many like that in America today. There are many like that in churches today. There are many who are careless professors of Christ. They have no fruit. There's no evidence of a new life. Uh, you, you would not know that they are a Christian by the way that they live, by the things they talk about, by the places they go and the fun things, the things that they consider fun and, and uh, the places they frequent, the way that they treat their spouse or the way they treat their children, the way they treat their family. You have no idea by the way that they live that they were a Christian, though they would tell you they're a Christian. You could go to every door in this town and I'm sure more than 90% of them would say, yeah, I'm a Christian. Oh, I I went to church. My parents went to church. I go to that church on Christmas and New Year's. I'm a Christian. But their life tells a different story. This is a grave warning for uh, many who are in churches today. The gospel slips right on by them. They're so close, but they have their faith in the wrong thing. They think that a prayer that they have said, or the works that they do, or the church that they attend, or the clothes that they wear, the way they live their life, they think that is the reason that they're saved. Uh, But there is no fruit of the Spirit in their life. They're trusting in the things that they do and not in what Christ has done to save them. They do many works in the name of Christ, but they don't actually know Christ. We're warned in 2 Corinthians 13.5 to examine ourselves, to see whether we be in the faith and to prove our own selves. We're told in 1 John that there will be those who go out from us because they were never of us. Jesus warned us of the reality of the goats among the sheep and the tares among the wheat. And that's a sobering reality that every church has within it some who are not saved. Uh, But it is never our prerogative to examine others to see whether they be in the faith. We're not told to examine everyone else to see if they be in the faith. We're told to examine ourselves to see if we be in the faith. So before we get in our mind that uh, we're going to, well, that person's not saved because they don't do this. And I look at them and, and they're surely not a Christian. That's not our place to judge and to condemn and to decide who is saved. We ought to examine ourselves. The person who goes around uh, pointing, uh, uh, judging and criticizing and declaring who is saved and who is not, they're the ones that should be afraid of their own position in Christ so, in other words, this warning in Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 1, it's for you. You need to examine your own life. Not the person next to you or in front of you or behind you, but yourself. Are you saved? Or does the gospel leave you unchanged? Does it slip right on by? Does it it slip right on by unnoticed? Because you've not really accepted it by faith. Maybe you're believing in Jesus plus something else. Or Jesus plus yourself. And so this warning is for us. We need to pay close attention to our faith. We need to take our Christian faith and life seriously. And there doesn't have to be a doubt in our life as to the reality of our salvation. When we stop looking to ourselves and something that we do, or something that we have done as evidence of our salvation, and we we start to realize that uh, it is what Christ has done for us that we can be certain of our faith, because we understand what Christ did on our behalf. It's Christ who upholds us. It's it's Christ who will bring to completion in our life what He started, and that's the gospel. The gospel is uh, it's uh, it's not just a one time thing, but the gospel we get saved, and the gospel continues to affect us, and we grow in sanctification in the Lord. If we if you were to stand before God and He were to ask you. Why should I let you into my heaven? And uh, if your answer is, well, God, I serve you, and I go to church faithfully, and I've gone to church my whole life, or uh, God, I, I pray, and I read my Bible, so that's why I should get into heaven, or God, look here, right in the front cover of my Bible, I have a date that tells me when I pray to prayer. None of those things will get us into heaven. If our only answer is... That we can give before God when he asked, uh, why should I let you into heaven is, Lord, there's nothing that I've done that can get me into heaven. There's no work that I've done that can save me. I'm a sinner. I'm worthless. But you have said that I can come and I trust in you. And my faith is in Christ alone. And so we we need to understand it's Christ who saves us. this is something I've struggled with in the past. Um, There was, uh, growing up, you know, I always, I had doubts with my salvation, and, uh, sorry. (laughs) Um, There was times growing up when I would doubt my salvation, and, question, you know, was I truly saved? And I'd worry and I'd fear and I'd stay up at night. And I would always tell myself, well, I had a date written in my Bible. So truly, I'm, I'm, surely I must be saved because it's written in the front of my cover. That's not what saves us. I had to come to the point where I realized it's, it's nothing I've done. I, I'm unworthy of, of the gospel. It's because of what Christ has done for me. And Lord, I, you said that I can come to you and I have faith in what you've said. And I, I believe that and I trust that. And I know that if my faith is in you, you will save me. Our only hope is that Jesus said we could come to him and he would not cast us out. And we believe him by faith and we trust in him alone. That's our faith. Uh, That's what we believe in. So who is your faith in? What is your faith in this evening? And so we see the warning. Number two, we see uh, the wrath. The wrath in verses two and three. For if the word spoken by angels was steadfast... And every transgression and disobedience received a just recompense of reward. How shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation, which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord and was confirmed unto us by them that heard him? We see the the wrath. Uh, There was a just recompense of reward for those who transgressed and disobeyed the messengers of God. A reward can be good, but a reward here is, uh, this reward is a bad reward. It's a just recompense. Uh, A recompense is what we deserve. And what we deserve for our sin and for our unbelief is uh, punishment, is uh, the wrath of God. Those uh, Those who carelessly handle their profession, they say they've been saved, but they live a different life. Uh, they're trusting in something else besides Christ, uh, they, they, they let the gospel slip from them, there is wrath for that person, and that's a sobering warning for us. If we neglect so great a salvation, if we let it slip by us because of our, our faith is in something else, or our faith is in ourselves, if we, if we let it slip by uh, and our lives show that our profession of faith is in word only, how shall we escape this wrath? The question is a rhetorical one. There is no escape. There is no escape from the wrath of God. He he gives a just reward for unbelief and sin, and that is death and hell. Those who live and die in sin and unbelief will stand before God, and they will be condemned. Those who profess, Lord, Lord, with their mouth, but they trust in their good works, will not escape the just recompense of their reward. They will not escape the wrath of God. And that's what makes this warning so sobering. That there will be those who profess Lord, Lord, but their faith is not in Him. Those who do not heed this warning, they face wrath. And this is a sobering thought. How many are sitting today under preaching that tells them if they're good enough, if they work hard enough, maybe they can be saved? There's a lot of people who go to churches that teach that. There's a lot who go to churches that teach... Uh, Their baptism will save them. There's a lot who are in different religions who are believing in a false God, but they have hope that they'll be saved. But if their faith is not in Christ alone, they will not be saved. And that should should give us concern for their souls and uh, uh, compassion to see them saved. But this wrath will also come to those who are sitting in churches that preach a true gospel, who are faithful to the word of God, but their faith is still in themselves. They hear the true gospel, but it slips them by because they do not trust in Christ alone. How many, will, how many confess uh, to be a believer in Christ, but they're trusting in their own works, and they'll go, from, go to hell from the pew of a church that preaches the gospel faithfully? That should be a sobering warning for us. It's a person who knows the lingo of Christianity. They know all the right words, but... The Christ of Christianity doesn't know them and uh, hasn't have a, doesn't have a relationship with them. They put on a show of faith, but they don't live out their faith. Their faith is without fruit. Their faith is empty. True faith in Christ, it produces the fruit of the Spirit. Uh, Christ's uh, Spirit is, is not um, weak. Uh, if He is in the heart of a believer, He will cultivate fruit in the life of a Christian. And so the, the, the true believer will produce fruit. But there are those who neglect so great a salvation. What does it mean to have so great a salvation? Salvation changes everything. It affects our whole life and it lasts our whole life. It's not a moment in time, but it's a whole new life that we're given. Uh, if your faith is not the most important thing to you... If your Christian life is not shaping your every decision and your every action, how can that be called great? A salvation that doesn't change my heart, it doesn't change my desires, it doesn't change my actions, it doesn't change my words, it doesn't change my purposes, it doesn't change my relationships, it doesn't change my whole life, how can that be called great? A salvation that is just a prayer I prayed once, but it hasn't done anything for me is not a great salvation. A salvation that cannot help me overcome sin and temptation in my life is not a great salvation. A salvation that doesn't give me faith in trials is not a great salvation. A salvation that does not give me a love for others is not a great salvation. A salvation that doesn't change my tongue and my speech Is not a great salvation, a salvation that does not root out bitterness in my heart and exchange it for forgiveness, is not a great salvation. How shall we escape if we neglect this great salvation? We can't. If you have been saved, if you have not been saved, wrath is the reward. You must be born again, and it's only Christ who can do that. Are you? And if you have been saved, if you know you're saved and you have this great salvation, are you warning others? And are you telling others about how they can have this great salvation? Your life has been changed. You've seen Christ change your life. And you've seen Christ help you grow in a love for others. And you've seen Christ give you patience. And you've seen Christ develop mercy in your life for others. And you've seen Christ help you clean up your anger and your tongue. And you've seen Christ change your life. Are you telling others how they can have that change in their life as well? That's our calling. And so we see the warning. For those who let the gospel slip by. And now we see the witness. The witness in verse 4. God also bearing them witness. Both with signs and wonders. And with diverse miracles. And gifts of the Holy Ghost. According to his own will. This same great salvation. That you have. And that I have. if, If we've been born again. It's a great salvation. It's the same great salvation. That the disciples had. And the author of Hebrews. He had it as well. God bore witness to the saving work of the gospel in the life of the disciples when he filled them with the Holy Spirit and gave them uh, the gifts of the Spirit and the ability to work signs and wonders. Uh, God gave the disciples the ability to do signs and wonders because they didn't have the whole New Testament like we do today. It wasn't written yet. And so God enabled them with spiritual gifts as uh, evidence that they were indeed uh, from, that they're indeed messengers from God, and that what they had to say was the truth. And so God gave them signs and wonders uh, as an evidence that the Spirit of God was working in their life. Now, we don't believe that um, we have the miraculous gifts like healing today, uh, but God does give us spiritual gifts today. And there are uh, spiritual gifts that the believer has, and there are evidences of the new life. There are evidences of the power of the gospel in our life. And so the obvious question we're left with in considering this great warning of not neglecting so great a salvation is, how do I know if I have neglected so great a salvation or not? Or um, how do I know if I have been saved? And that's a good question to ask. And we should ask it. We're, again, we're, we're told to examine our faith. And the evidence is the fruit we bear. Jesus said in Matthew seventeen, seventeen through 20 Even so, every good tree bringeth forth good fruit, but a corrupt tree bringeth forth evil fruit. A good tree cannot bring forth evil fruit, neither can a corrupt tree bring forth good fruit. Every tree that bringeth not forth good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire. Wherefore, by their fruits ye shall know them. If you want to examine your faith like we're told to do, examine your life for fruits. Do we bear the fruit of the Spirit in our life? Can others see the fruit of the Spirit in our life? Can you look back on your Christian life and you've seen how God has uh, cultivated the spiritual gifts that He has given you? Can you look back in your life and see how God has grown you in, in your faith? Perhaps it's through great trials in your life that you've come to have greater faith in God than when you first got saved. And you've come to have greater faith in His Word and, and greater faith in prayer. That's the fruit of the Gospel in your life. Perhaps you see the people around you and you're, you're broken by their sin. And you have a heart to see them saved and you want to tell them about Christ. That's an evidence of the fruit of the Gospel in your life. Perhaps you've been deeply hurt in your life. And it used to be difficult for you to forgive or to show mercy or to show kindness But now you see that God gives you the strength and God gives you the grace to show the same grace that he's shown you to others. And that's a fruit and an evidence of the gospel at work in your life. Perhaps you used to be very impatient with people, and maybe you still struggle with patience. I know I do at times. But you see that you're growing in patience. That's evidence of the gospel working in your life. It goes without saying, we will never be perfect in this Christian life. We will still struggle with this flesh. We still carry this old man. But if we've been born again, it is through the Spirit that He helps us to crucify the flesh, to to put to death the old man and to, to walk in the Spirit. And those who've been saved will be growing in their faith. If you can look back on your life since your profession of faith to now, and you can see a growth in Christ and a growth in faith and a growth in love for others and for the Lord that's an evidence of the of the gospel at work in your life. And again it's it's not what we do that is the evidence of our faith. It's what Christ is doing through us that we would never be able to do in our own strength. And we see him working in our life. The faithful Christian knows that the gospel is continually at work in his life and it's by the grace of God alone. That they continue in faith. Do you you have the witness of the work of the Holy Ghost in your life? If so, praise God for that. And now tell somebody else how they can have uh, this great salvation that you experience. Uh, We we need to be sharing the gospel with others. It's our great command from Jesus Christ himself. And if you don't have that witness, if there is no fruit in your life, uh, you need to heed this warning. And then you need to be saved. You need to put your faith in the Lord. This warning is for you. So this message has been a, a sobering one, but it's an important one. Salvation is a great thing. <laughs> Salvation is a wonderful thing. It's a life-changing thing. But I'm afraid there are many who profess faith in Christ. They say they're saved, but um, they're, uh, their life shows a different story. They're, they're trusting in their works. They're trusting in the fact that they've grown up in a Christian home. To save them, they're trusting in something that they've done to save them. That will never save a person. It's only Christ alone who saves. And when He saves, He saves wonderfully. He saves. uh, He saves uh, greatly. It's a great salvation. It's not a weak salvation. And there's a change in the life of somebody who's been born again. This evening, we need to heed this warning. We need to examine our own hearts, and then we need to get busy going out in the world and telling others how they can partake of this great salvation. That we have. Let's pray. Dear Lord, I thank you for this day that you've given us.